Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 216 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend Benjamin. Hello, hello. And my friend Sam. Hello. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about Magic the Gathering skills that you can transfer to other games, to other jobs, careers, walks of life, uh, all sorts of things like that, uh, as well as to, you know, from other games, so all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we also have a pretty big banned and restricted announcement uh, that we will, of course, go through and, and give our takes on and everything. Uh, but first, how about this recent weekend? Sam, I heard you were up to some fun fun shenanigans this weekend. Yeah, uh, myself, Matt Nass, and uh, BK a little bit, and Caroline a lot. Um, we're running a charity stream. We did two 12-hour streams, so one on Saturday, one on Sunday, of us playing Chandelar which is the old magic RPG that's actually, like, if you grade on a curve, that game is just unbelievably good. It's, uh, you know, it's like you you build up your collection and do stuff with cards, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and we raised, like, almost $5,000 for uh, NAMI, the National Associ- Alliance on Mental Illness. Alliance, they're an alliance, not an association. Um, and, yeah, it was just like we had a, we had a great time doing it. Things went really well. Um, you know, we streamed for a long time. There's some videos of us doing some of the things we said we would do on the stream if things went well. So, like, for example, we played a game called Egg Roulette where we took turns cracking eggs over each other's heads. And some of them were hard-boiled and some of them were not. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. At the end, we all got pied in the face, which was also a lot of fun. So, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of fun and cool stuff going on. It was a good time. That sounds very rewarding. Benjamin, what were you up to? I was watching the <laughs> uh, charity stream, and I, I even helped get us to some of the points at which eggs were thrown and pies were faced. And yeah, it was just very fun to, you know, it was like hanging out with your friends on the internet, which is what Twitch is like for me when I watch Matt and family stream yeah who, who was it recently that tweeted at us that picture of what it feels like to listen to podcasts it was tim Wu. So tim Wu, yeah did, tim Wu just tweeted us this, around he picked tweeted us this picture of like how it felt like to listen to this podcast and it was just like this advertisement of like three people laughing and having a good time and then somebody sitting in front of the advertisement laughing along as well you know um anyways that's what it, it's like i guess Let's thank our illustrious friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com for supporting our show every week. Those are Kiki Jiki, Winchester, Kyle, and Hot Soup. Uh, and for the first time in a while here, we don't have any birthdays either now or in the near future. So uh, listeners who are worried about their earbuds are, are safe for now, although you are always in danger of somebody deciding they would like to use their money to cause us to sing. Um, and our good friends of the podcast, also over at Patreon.com, supporting the show. Uh, patreon.com slash allied strategies i think or is it slash allied strats i'm not 100 <laughs> sure it's one of those two so good plug good plug. you know just google it if you're not sure um this is the kind of thing that one would expect me to know but uh, those good friends are adam matt Britton, kyle caroline eric zach sam duncan batiste wilson tobias paul ryan jarvis cacophonous you booster therapy tim the mug giver greg ari ari phil and will thanks for your support uh, we have no questions of the week this week from our Patreon or Twitter, but if you are a patron or, you know, a rando, you can send us those messages 
uh, or questions through Patreon, through Patreon or Twitter, respectively. All right, let's move on to our card of the week segment. Benjamin, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Woodland Champion. Woodland Champion is a 2-2 Elf Scout for one and a green. And whenever one or more tokens enter the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one plus one counter on Woodland Champion. I encountered this card recently while I was just scrolling through the two drops that were legal and standard to see if I could, you know, to find some to put in a deck that I was building. And I was sort of struck by the fact that it's not very hard to put tokens into play in standard right now. There's a bunch of really good green cards that just put tokens into play incidentally, and a lot of them. So I kind of wonder if this card might secretly be playable and just no one really realized it. You know, Brineborn Cutthroat is a similar kind of card. It's the 2-1 flash for 2 that gets a plus plus 1 counter every time you cast a spell on your opponent's turn. Um, and that card has seen a good amount of play in the like blue-green, the blue-red, and the mono-blue flash decks. And that card has seriously impressed me. Like, every time my opponents have it on turn 2... It, like, frequently just grows out. It becomes, like, a 9-8 by the end of the game. And I'm just like, goodness gracious, that card is powerful. So I wonder, you know, if Woodland Champion might not be a similar kind of thing. Mostly, like, I just, I don't think it asks very much of you. Because I just think that the cards that make tokens are just good. Like, Gilded Goose, Lovestruck Beast, Trail of Breadcrumbs are, are three that I could think of off the top of my head. There's also, like, maybe Garrick or, or other Planeswalkers that make tokens. So, yeah, I don't know. This, I think this card might be worth giving a shot. Yeah, Trail of Crumbs in particular has been really impressive to me just any time I've seen it in play um, in that cat deck. All right, Sam, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Oko the Trickster, which is not to be confused with Oko Thief of Crowns. Um, Oko the Trickster is four blue-green, so uh, six mana total for a Planeswalker that comes into play with four loyalty and has plus one, put two plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature you control, zero until end of turn, Oko the Trickster becomes a copy of target creature you control and prevent all damage that would be dealt to it. And uh, minus seven until end of turn, each creature you control has base power 10-10 and gains trample. And uh, the thing I want to talk about is that zero ability, because I think this is just actually a really really cool planeswalker ability and it makes me kind of sad when i see this that the the crappy oko that just got banned didn't have this ability like i think this is an awesome line of text for a planeswalker that you could have pushed for constructed play and like it would probably do a lot of really fun and healthy things for the game like it would make you a lot more likely to want to play with um with like Baneslayer angel type creatures you know big Big creatures that don't have an immediate value because you can sort of pseudo give them haste by having an Oko in play. Yeah, like feasting I think troll just... king or whatever. Yeah, like a, like an FTK or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, like FTK. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, F- FTK as he's known. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be like a really interesting way to push those cards a little bit without being like too heavy handed. You know, it's not. It, it doesn't like. It doesn't force you to play that. It's just a, an interesting way that you could play with those cards. So, yeah, I just wish that this this text box had seen print on not a throwaway garbage planeswalker. Yeah, you kind of get this feeling of like, okay, they they chose to push something that uh, reduced interaction and, you know, creature-based gameplay, and uh, instead they could have printed this thing that 
would have made your deck have a lot of like interesting creature choices and given your opponent a lot of ways to interact with it. And uh, yeah, Samuel, I know. I noticed that you didn't point out the reason why you know the text of this card, which is oh, that that's true. Yes, you and I, you were getting beat the heck up when we were playing dual decks Oko versus Roe and Kenrith. Wait, hold on. I was. Uh, it was probably about even. I felt like we played a, a a nice mix of games, and they were some were you know some I won, some I lost, and we had a good time. Yeah, that's true. It was like that. But you can also, characterize you were it the one playing Oko, and I was the one playing Rowan. Yes, that is true. All right, my card of the week is Red Herring. Red Herring is one and a red for a two-two fish. I really wish they could have gone with two-two herring, but two-two fish, um, one and a blue. Exchange Red Herring from your hand. With a permanent you control on the battlefield or a spell you control on the stack, if that permanent was the target of a spell or ability, change that target to Red Herring. Uh, so this card is just phenomenally cool. It's one of the fake cards from uh, from Mystery Booster, and like that's you know uh, whatever reasons that they can't print this, but uh, it's so it's so cool. First of all, like the fact that they made it red just because it's got Red Herring in the title to to fit the name, love it. Uh, and then this is just something that like. You can just swap out your spells that's being countered for a red herring or your creature that's being killed for a red herring and uh, bring it back to your hand. Like, I think I think that all the extra mana costs involved with that are, are enough to maybe make this even a fairly balanced card, like, if this were to be printed unironically. Uh, and I, I just love the, like, how it all meshes with the name and the theme. I really yeah. like the art. It's got a funny fish with a wearing, you know, the, like, the fake mustache, art, yeah. Disguise, glasses. Could they actually not print this card? I can't really like. They could print it, I think. Okay. It yeah. Okay. Seem like it would break things. What if you? The, swap... I think the playtest cards were explicitly cards they said they could hypothetically print. Well, some of them they're like, okay, what if you swap, you know, a non-creature spell that's being negated for a red herring, like that negate can't target red her- herring. How is it going to be? Right. How are you going to change that target to? Red I mean, spells end up Hint. with illegal targets all the time. Okay, that's just a thing that the rules of magic are like pretty Built good about handle. covering. Okay, yeah, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, that would just nothing. Your, your red herring would resolve, and negate would be countered by no not having a legal target. Right. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. But yeah, the, the, this is the, this would be cool. I, I I don't know. Like maybe there needs to be some testing to make sure that it wouldn't actually be really annoying to play against or whatever. Because uh, it's kind of like a counter spell that can affect pretty much anything your opponent plays. Like, you can just protect any of your things. But it returns it to your hand. Like, I don't know. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how much different this would be in terms of impact than like disperse or whatever. Um, I guess you're getting. I guess you do get a two two out of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, see, it, it, it's cool. It's cool. I'd like to play with this card. Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like unsubstantiate, right? Yeah. I'd like to play with this card. Maybe. <laughs> no promises. I'm not committing. I'm, I, I look. With recent history, I would not like to, you know, promise that I would like to play with any card that they've come up with, because um, in the past year or so, there have been quite a few big misses uh, from Wizards of the Coast on cards wow, that what they a segue. thought were yeah, safe Rob, to print. I haven't really had a good segue in a long time, so I feel like this merits some applause, Tristan. Thank you. Yeah, one of the characteristics of a good segue is stopping to talk about it for a minute, um, well, yeah, and I'm glad that we were doing that. Really, good one. really have to point it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we're, we're going to talk now about the bans. We'll talk a little bit about this just current set of bans. Um, and restrictions. And restrictions, that is true. Uh, so let's start with standard. In standard, uh, the changes are 
Oko, not the trickster, but the Thief of Crowns, uh, is being banned, as is Veil of Summer and Once Upon a Time. Uh, so three green cards that all kind of teamed up to make this green super monster that Sam has been talking about, uh, how it had the best in multiple categories. Uh, Sam, what do you think of this set of bannings? It seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of busted cards there. Once Upon a Time was a card that I wish they had said a little more about in their articles and such about the bannings, because that one uh, felt like it went exactly as most people thought it would. Like, it was a really, really powerful cantrip that smoothed out a lot of the variants of the game and caused decks to have their busted opening starts a lot. And, like, I don't know, that was when I read it, that was kind of exactly what I thought was going to happen, so I'm kind of curious from, like, Watsi's perspective. Yeah, these other cards, there's kind of some explaining, like, oh, here's why we missed on this one, but with Once Upon, well, Once Upon a Time, nobody's like, yeah, we didn't see that this zero-mana cantrip would have been good, like, you know, oops, we won't do it again. Instead, it's just kind of, it just kind of got banned quietly. Um, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, what did you expect to happen? My, my suspicion with Once Upon a Time is that, like, the the reason that it's getting banned here is that it it is in the dominant color. It's like a good it, one of the one of the best cards in such a dominant color, uh, and so they're banning well, it to ban the most one of the more reasonable green cards to ban. Uh, but I think that they would have been happy with Once Upon a Time as a powerful green card when there are other powerful colors that would make you not want to play green. I mean, I, I also think Once Upon a Time is phenomenally boring. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I I have found it really annoying when I have to wait for my opponent to make what is probably a difficult once upon a time decision on turn zero, because I don't really care what the outcome is. Like it's not that interesting to me if they're choosing between their third land that they really need to hit and some important creature to fill out their curve. Like I just want to start playing the game and it feels like I have to wait for it. Um, And also the first thing I saw when this was banned, I've been playing a bit with the green white tokens deck was like, Oh cool. I get to replace the, Four, these four cards that don't do anything interesting in the green white tokens deck with four like new cards that add a new dimension to the deck yeah I, th- I think once upon a time may be the most egregious card actually to have been printed in Eldraine I like, think Oko is still worse but I agree that once upon a time seems lower upside to me like Sure, I just mean like the abilities. The, sure, I mean the text that is printed on Oko is not fun and invasive, and like I did come out with the validating. Uh, whereas I'm... the Once Upon a Time card, like I believe it is too powerful and it is boring, but at least like what it does is that everyone gets to play Magic more. True. Although yeah. I guess they get to have their nut draws more, which is like not that fun. I think one of the reasons that makes Magic such a great game is the wide styles of games that you play against, like, like that you play. So sometimes your opponents have really good draws, sometimes they have medium draws, sometimes they have bad draws. And the same is true for you. And like all nine of those types of games play out very differently. Um, and once upon a time, homogenizing it towards like everyone gets their better draws a lot more often is really stupid. <laughs> Yeah, because you're playing in those spaces, and it feels a lot worse to have the um, the bad draws when it's a smaller I percentage think... of your draws, and your opponent's less likely to have a bad draw that you get to play against. 
I also think that their heart is sort of in the right place with Once Upon a Time. I believe it was like a deliberate effort to reduce like Mana Screw and non-games and stuff like that. Like the London Mulligan is also was also like a move in that direction. Um, but I think the fact that, I mean, everyone gets to use the London Mulligan and only green decks get to play Once Upon a Time, coupled with the fact that the card is just too powerful, uh, blew, made it made it a, a, a bad idea. Once Upon a Time also has a pretty obnoxious combination with the London Mulligan, right? Like, it's very good to put the second yes. Once Upon a Time on the bottom and uh, cards yes. like that, that. That sort of, you know, snowballs it further. Yeah, and yeah, that that interaction is not like linear or like you know if, if people get to play x percent more magic and y because of the london mulligan and y percent more magic because of um the once upon a time it's probably more than x plus y percent magic when you get to do both wait would it be x plus y percent that's i said more more than x plus y but like well i'm being i'm being a little loose here with my my terminology because you know i mean probabilities aren't don't aren't additive unless you're like in the small regime right. usually yeah but, i'll be honest i ben started talking about x's and y's and i just look, lost all interest in whatever he was saying don't be mean <laughs> all right um like moving on we have oko thief of crowns also banned in brawl i and thought this already not, happened or was it just not even we talk brawl. about bale of summer or oko we just spent all that time on once upon a time oh, okay then oh i thought we were talking about oko now yeah, it's banned in Brawl, Benjamin. Brawl. He went. He moved on to a different banning. Well, I no, know, I thought now, he now we're going to cover. Now we're going to cover Oko, Thief of Crowns. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't originally going to do what Sam said I was going to do, but I am now, and I'm going to act indignant at you, Benjamin, for even assuming I, I was going to do that thing that I was I just, actually going to do. Just to talk about Brawl for a second, I learned something really stupid. Do you know how Fires of Invention interacts with your commander in Brawl? Uh, I bet you still have to pay um, the commander tax. Pretty well, right? No, you get to you just get to dodge the commander. Oh, you tax. dodge the commander tax because yeah. it doesn't increase the CMC. Okay, nice. That's an additional cost, not a. All right, but that's... it's not an additional cost. If it was an additional cost, you just still have to pay it. Right. It's uh just. Uh, wait, okay. do you need enough lands then? No. Okay. Wait, what? It's this... it's an extra cost, but not an additional cost. What? <laughs> like. The cost is increased. I don't know how it works. I just know that I don't like the it. The cost is increased, but the converted mana cost isn't increased, so you can still cast it. Yeah, I with think with the that's... number of lands. Yeah, I will. I will say that in typical games of like EDH, only being able to play two spells a turn and only on your your own turn is a huge downside. So it's probably not actually busted. Well, in in brawl, like in one v one arena brawl, it sounds really good. Yeah, maybe. Uh. Any concerns about Oko Thief of Crowns in either the Brawl or Standard banning here, uh, Benjamin? I mean, we all knew it was going to happen. Everyone by now has talked about how Oko's plus one is too good on opponent's permanence. Like, you know, everybody knew it was going to happen. Move on. <laughs> I would have liked to, but you stopped me from doing that. Well, I wanted to talk about Veil of Summer. Okay. And also to make fun of you. Talk about Veil of Summer then. Yeah, I don't know. Veil of Summer seems, it is obviously a very strong card. And maybe it's worth banning just to get it, just to f really make sure that the green decks stay down and to foster other colors. But Veil of Summer seems like one of those cards kind of kind of weird to ban to me. I don't know it. Yeah, it joins a very small list of answers that have been banned, right? With cards like Mental Misstep, 
Um, yeah. Like, I don't like counter spells, you know? I don't like them. I don't like playing against them. And yeah. I understand that they are good to print and that people do like them, but I think it is good to have tools to fight against the counterspell menace. Um, and I don't know, Teferi is like pretty good against Vale as well, so I, I guess I'm just sort of surprised that they that they did end up banning Vale and Constructed. I don't know. I think the way that, to me, the 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 nature of Vale being sort of the end-all be-all sideboard card kind of frustrated me like when we were discussing when you know when we with our oko deck that we built for the for the pt it was like oh should we consider boarding in duress no if they bring in veil it's a disaster like there were so many spots where we wanted to think about a way to approach the sideboard that veil just shut not not only shut down but shut down so completely that it didn't even feel like it was worth discussing um, that I, I kind of understand the the desire to move on from that effect. Like uh, one one thing we talk about sometimes in in design is like uh, you want some number of trace busters and then some number of trace buster busters, if that makes sense. And you like it's fun when there's a, a path that you can follow there and you can keep you can go levels deeper. But Veil vale of Summer was so efficient at just that was the end of the path. There was no more. You know, you shouldn't play with these sideboard cards against decks that could even play this card. That I, I think that it was a little too much for what it was trying to do. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, like uh, that does come up where like people are like, okay, well against control decks, I can board this in, and then control decks are like, well, they're going to be boarding that in, so I can like switch up my answers to like play better against that. And your point is that with Veil, like that's just not possible because it's just the most efficient possible thing. Yeah, and so, the yeah, floor I guess was that, so that makes high, sense. you could just always cantrip it off. That re- that resonates with me. Yeah, it, it's both the Trace Buster and the Trace Buster Buster and the Trace Buster Buster Buster. Like, no matter what the black or blue card is, Veil of Summer beats it. Except, or... except I will point out, I've had this card cast in an ineffective manner when I was using Surgical Extraction. My oh. opponent was, was unhappy with how that went for them. Well, it doesn't make cards in your graveyard hexproof right right it does yeah it doesn't protect your graveyard or protect me from then getting to search your library yeah i thought you were gonna bring up um aether gust oh that that too there was well it's also nonsense that this card countered dobin's veto i thought that was kind of ridiculous yeah it's pretty silly all right in legacy we have renin six being banned uh Pretty dominant Planeswalker in that format. I don't know how much Legacy you guys have been playing, but uh, there are some very, very compelling reasons to ban this card that I'm glad it finally did get banned. Um, I have no opinions on this. I've actually played with it quite a bit, played with and against it, and yeah, I thought it homogenized uh, everyone towards, like, all of the blue decks towards playing this green-red card, as weird as that is, but that's kind of just how Legacy works. Yeah, that's what you can do in Legacy. You can just get away with it. Um... But yeah, it, it didn't feel that fun to me that there wasn't, it didn't feel like a meaningful choice between like Rug Delver, Blue Red Delver with some basics, uh, you know, Grixis, like all, all of, it felt like before there were a bunch of different Delver options. And then that's even just speaking to Delver, not like, not even speaking to the control decks or like Miracles that started playing it or any of the really out there stuff. Um, but it felt like 
yeah, you just have to play with Ren and Six because anyone who ever plays that card in a Delver Mirror wins the game immediately if it doesn't die. Um, right. I think BK BK top aided a uh, the the Star City Open. He was the legacy player in their team, and he said he, that no neither player over the weekend won a match where the other player resolved a Ren and Six and it stuck around for a turn. Yeah, that that does not surprise me um and i think it will be nice to see this one go and legacy to return to a little bit more of a you know normal looking legacy metagame um all right in vintage we have a restriction also as sam pointed out narset parter of veils uh you can only play one of this thing now interesting kind of joining a, a set of the, the these like planeswalkers with the static effects uh like narset and karn or whatever uh, are getting restricted in vintage which makes sense because in vintage there are a lot of decks that do not effectively attack these cards and those passive abilities that they have, the, 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 um, the static ones, are often at their best in that format. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. Quite good in the format of, you know, Ancestral Recall and uh, cards like that. Yeah, I have no opinion about this. Um, from what I've heard from the people who I know that play Vintage, they were in favor of this. So it sounds like a great move, but... Uh... I don't really play enough vintage to, to feel like I have a lot of stake here. Yeah, I mean, nor, nor have I, nor have I. There can be no true freedom until Mishra's Workshop is restricted. I do support that idea, yes. Um, all right. Into the other main topic we have this week. Uh, We're going to talk about the transferable skills that magic hones and also that you benefit from bringing to magic when you start off uh, and where you can bring them to other games or jobs or things in your life. Uh, so the first big point that I have written down here uh, is moving to a, a process-oriented thinking model versus a results-oriented thinking model. I think that this is something that every successful magic player uh, should at least do and many successfully do. It's, it's a challenge. You know, it's always a challenge to uh, think about, you know, a tournament in terms of the process rather than the result. It's hard to be happy with a bad result from a tournament or, uh, you know, to really do a good job of criticizing yourself if you win a tournament. Um, but I think that that, that type of thinking is one that magic does develop if you, you know, if you're trying to, like if, you, if you're trying to do magic the right way, you will develop a, a process-oriented thinking model, uh, which I think will then help in other parts in your life also. Uh, Benjamin, do you, do you agree with this Uh position here can you define for me what a process oriented thinking model is so process oriented thinking is, is when you are instead of thinking about like did i win the tournament you know did i draw the card i needed to draw to win this game uh you're instead thinking about like did i put myself in the best position to win here did i like did i play the best deck objectively versus you know did i play a deck that ran into a bunch of good or bad matchups uh, did I, you know, take the line that was going to set me up to have a 60% chance of winning the game? Uh, and that was the best line available instead of like, okay, uh, you know, you, we all know these spots where you like take a worse line and get rewarded for it. And, uh, or you take a better line and get punished for it and would have, you know, you hit a card that would have won you the game if you'd taken a different line, but you would have had a smaller chance of drawing that card than a n- number of cards that would have won you the game with your line. Right. Uh, so keeping your, your thinking, about what is the best process rather than what the results were, right? Okay. I do think it's very hard to disentangle those often because results are the only thing you get to observe, right? Um, But I agree with you that it is important to um, imagine what 
could have happened rather than what did happen. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and trying, like, trying to reward yourself for making a good decision, even if it goes badly. And... But I guess, like, one thing you said that struck me as weird is, like, did I play the best deck or did I just run into a bunch of good and bad matchups? Right. You, you know, like, obviously, the, running into a bunch of good matchups is a sign that you picked a good deck. But yeah. also, you can play against the only eight decks in the tournament that beat your deck and, you know, just get an unlucky set of pairings, right? Like, that does happen from time to time also. Uh, and you can look at the field overall and see if you see if you like your decision, uh, regardless of what actually happened to you, right? Yeah. And so how how why do you think this is applicable outside of magic, like in life, generally? Well, I, th- I think that more of life than people are willing to generally talk about is probabilistic rather than like uh, like there's not always a guaranteed way to come out on top in various situations and often you just need to give yourself the best chance of something going well you need to put yourself in a position for good things to happen to you and uh you know take opportunities as as they come in front of you but uh if you purely think about results versus you know trying to maximize optimize that process i think i think you do less well both in life and in magic so maybe like uh you know if you're interviewing for a job or whatever and you go, you prepare for interviews that like you've, you've, you've talked about with your friends and you've like, uh, you know, sort of tried to figure out what people in these job positions usually look for. And you go in and you sit down for the interview and they just like ask you a bunch of questions that you have no, no clue what the hell they're talking about. And like, you know, the interview goes horribly and you get rejected. Like your point is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't look too much into the fact that you got rejected from this single interview, but rather like think of the process that you took to prepare as a whole and think like, okay, well, where could I have prepared better? Like, was it reasonable for me to be prepared for the types of the questions that they asked or whatever? Yeah. An honest answering of the question, like, was this, you know, the expected outcome or did I get lucky or unlucky? Like, you know, that, that sort of um, ability to honestly assess that, uh, I think is is something that you can develop in magic. Now, it's very very many people don't develop this from magic, right? There are people who every single tournament will talk about how they got unlucky and that's why they lost, right? But uh, the good kind of magic thinking that we develop is not like that, right? What we're trying to do is not think like that. Well, I I mean I don't even think that thinking like that is necessarily bad. It's it's when you then take it a step further of I lost and therefore there was nothing I can do rather than trying to focus on the, the the small number of things that are in your control, relatively speaking, uh, in a Magic tournament. Like, maybe you did get unlucky and lost a bunch. That that happens quite a lot. Um, but you should still... you like, And it's fine to even notice that, but you should still uh, try to move past it to talk about what, what procedural effects you could have done to to improve yourself you know to to do better in the future even in spots where you get as unlucky as you did this time i actually kind of like to imagine like you know out there 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 actually are people who are just more unlucky right that actually do get unlucky all the time you're just so like the probability of meeting them is just so low 
So I just, I wonder, like, you know, is there really someone who just loses all the time in Magic and it's just never their fault and there's nothing they can do? Yeah, yeah, probably one or two people, right? Like, if you just have to assume a normal distribution. Well, actually, depending on the sample size, maybe not. Like, that thing decays very, very fast and, you know, there's not that many humans, but... um, I don't know. I just it's it really makes you think, you know. It really does make you think, yeah. Uh, um, I guess a, another skill that's kind of related to this is, is developing the ability to like understand when you have a low sample size, and you know, if, if you get you know eight out of ten wins with deck, for instance, uh, in you play two leads with it, and you win, you know, you you go four four one in both of them, or even five zero in both of them, right? Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're expecting that win rate, you know, going forward, right? So. Uh, that same sort of understanding when when you can sort of develop that uh, when you're you know when you can develop the ability to understand that you have a small amount of data about something and that it doesn't actually give you all that much uh, confidence about what the state of the world actually is like uh, I think that applies beyond magic as well yeah I think that is also um a very important spot to look at it's it it is kind of the same thing that you're talking about as far as being results oriented like you have to examine what the thing what the underlying structures were that caused you to go tenno like if you went tenno because you were playing hogak and your deck was insane and you know usually you can kind of try to use some other things beyond just your record to figure that out um then you're you're maybe you're onto something if you went 10-0 because like six of your opponents were playing fake decks and the other three got mana screwed and you know in your 10 10 matches uh maybe you need to reconsider what you're actually doing and you know maybe you sure certainly shouldn't use that as a reason to discard your deck unless you felt like there were some fundamental issues you noticed that you don't think you can fix but it you you definitely should continue to work and you know check if if things are working the way that you think they're going to I feel like I kind of had an example of this recently, right? Where I was playing my deck on on Arena, and I was winning a lot. But when we were playing the games, I had this nagging feeling that if my opponents had just been activating different abilities on their Oko, I would have lost. And then I played against people on our team and lost a bunch. And, like... That is, I like. I thought that that was a possibility. Like, even though my record was good, I still had doubts about the the strength of my deck, right? Because mm-hmm. I was able to approach these games with a critical eye and not just look for excuses to be happy with myself. Right. Yeah. This is a, a kind of a common theme among top Magic players: is that you kind of can. I don't know. There's this ego that we kind of start with when we start playing Magic and you know, having a reasonable amount of success with it that, like, you know, causes us to try and frame things in the way that is most favorable to our skill and, you know, decisions and everything. Uh, and then eventually we start instead thinking in a way that is detached from our ego, right? And is not trying to make us feel good about uh, all the decisions we made and is instead open about, you know, trying to identify the mistakes that we made or uh, ways that we are wrong rather than trying to explain how we're right. Yeah. How how do you think that this, like, how, what, what ways do you think you can apply this in the real world? I think just being aware of confirmation bias is, is a real thing. 
Um, yeah, and I, I don't I, know if there's like practical skills, but as far as like worldviews go, like every time you get into an argument with someone, just like be aware that you're probably going to be looking for reasons you're right and they're wrong and not the other way around. And like, that's not a good way to approach. Like everyone will do that. That's just how human nature works. So it's important to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to do that and try to correct for it. Right. Um, Try and go into like, if you're going to have an argument with somebody and you're not, willing to you're you're not approaching it with the willingness to like change your point of view and listen to what they say uh it's very likely that the other person is also not going to be willing to make those things so you're probably not going to be accomplishing anything with the argument like I, i basically will never have an argument with somebody with any assumptions that I can change their mind or anything like that because my my experience is people just don't really change their minds very much but uh you have the power to change yourself and you can decide that you're willing to have your mind changed on things and uh, then have discussions where that's part of your goal. And sometimes then the willingness to do that even causes the other people you're talking to to uh, be that way also. Also, then at least you'll be right like half the time, right? Like, right, right. Assuming okay. you're right and wrong with about 50% probability, then... Uh... Oh, so assuming like me or Tristan are involved in this, not you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay. Yeah, I think I think this can... This is ap- applicable just in like you know, people get into arguments constantly, like at work, at, you know, just hanging out with friends or whatever. Um, yeah, and just being being aware of the fact that you're going to look for confirmation biases. A good way to resolve those argu- more of those arguments in a healthy manner. Definitely, definitely. Especially, you know, as we approach these holiday seasons and you're starting, you're likely to be in a room with that uncle who has those political views that you uh, find repugnant uh, that you're gonna get in a shouting match with, you know. This is a a useful thing to to bear in mind. Okay, um, another thing that you learn from magic. This one is more of a, a kind of just a short thing, but uh, it is relevant, especially for younger people playing magic. I'd say uh, there's a lot of big words on magic cards, uh, like peregrination. So uh, you may learn what those words mean when you see them on magic cards a lot. Or maybe not, like Peregrination is one that I'm sure many people cast and did not know what it meant and never really bothered to learn. Um, and probably didn't even know how to pronounce, really. Right. Um, well, that one's phonetic, right? Like, it's... You, you it has a lot of syllables, though. Yeah. I would guess people called it, like, Pergination. Yeah. Uh, um, so increasing your vocabulary is something that you do get from playing Magic as well. Uh, useful if there's, like, an SAT test in your future. Uh I believe I believe peregrination has been on the SAT, for instance. Yeah, I definitely knew the word pernicious when I took the SATs from magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I guess this was in class when I was very young, but there was like a jet involved in like some analogy. And I was like, ooh, mox jet, ooh. <laughs> so I like knew, knew that it was a gem, a black gem. Very cool. Yeah. Again, not... This one more kind of applicable for people younger than uh, those like looking for jobs or whatever. But you never know. It's nice if you go to trivia or whatever. I don't know. I guess vocabulary isn't really a topic in trivia all that often. Okay. You can impress your uh, you know interviewers with your wide vocabulary. That's true. Although one thing that I'd say magic players have maybe a, a, a higher tendency than the average person to do is uh, come across as like you know smarty pants, um, and you may accidentally do that more by trying to show off a vocabulary 
Okay, uh, another skill that I would say you guys get more than me because you guys play on Pro Tour teams a lot more often Whoa. than me uh, is communicating in a team environment. Benjamin, what what would you describe this skill set as? Uh, that mad like what 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 parts of this does magic really hone? Um, well, I would say communicating your thought process is a big one. Like oftentimes people don't just want to know what you think. They want to know why you think it. And that can be challenging to describe to people. Um, but it is like super important and it's good to be able to sit down and decide why you believe what you believe. Um, because just being able to do that on command is not easy. And then also there's there's just more general things like, you know, your team needs to perform some task. Like everyone knows that some task needs to be performed, and so someone has to do it, right? And so sort of that balancing act of like, you know, figuring out who is going to do what and like how it's going to get done is also, I think, part of uh, interacting on a team. Yeah, I think this is probably the most transferable skill from magic to, like, a job of anything on this list, Uh, because I think that communicating with people and getting, you know, jobs done uh, is a useful thing that most people need to do professionally at various times. Uh, Sam, how about you? Do you you have an agreement or disagreement on that? No, I, I think this is a, a one of the most useful skills you can have just in general. Like, and I think the yeah, the one of the big things. Well, exactly what Ben said is communicating the why is so much more important than just the what. Like, you know, Ben could say, "Oh, I think Witch's Oven is great in this format," and that's nice. I trust Ben to some extent. Um, you know, I, I trust his opinions. But I certainly trust his opinions a lot more when he says, I think Witch's Oven is great in this format because there's a lot of spot removal. There's not a lot of people destroying artifacts. Um, the life gain is really important because of X, Y, Z, you know, whatever the reasons are. Um, and I think, you know, if he's striving to be an effective teammate, his goal should not just be to communicate the information he believes he has, but the underlying uh you know, the underlying nature of the format that he believe he has, you know, kind of put together uh, to try to communicate that to me such that I can then y- use it to make the most informed deck decision for myself or maybe come up with other ideas, you know, like, oh, you think that uh, burn is a really important part of this format. Maybe it's important that we have this card in our deck because of life gain or whatever it is. Um, and I think being able to communicate that kind of stuff in team environments outside of magic is also really important because a lot of the people you end up working with are usually pretty smart. And if you can more effectively communicate the underlying system, as opposed to just the, the exact task you have to do, sometimes they will be able to create more creative solutions as a result of that. Right. You can kind of transfer more of your thought process and that lets them carry on the torch, right? And take it further. I think you yeah. brought up one other thing that magic, like teaming with magic people is really good at developing, and that's trust. Smart people tend to have trust issues. Like, <laughs> just especially when you're working on a team, it's like, okay, 
like I could let this person do this thing. Are they going to do it right? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I should just do it myself. You know, and then you just get bogged down because there's too much stuff to do. You can't delegate, and then it's all over, right? But when you when you play on a magic team, you inevitably have to learn to trust your teammates, um, and that type of and like knowing what you can safely let them do is a skill that I believe is also very important just working professionally like you're going to have coworkers you're going to have to share work between you you know knowing what you can and cannot afford to to delegate to people is um that that's definitely a huge the, the delegation thing I think is huge and some of the best results I've had at pro tours were where I just trusted somebody else about a deck like the Eldrazi deck Jacob mostly worked on it um, and, you know, a, with a few days to go in testing, he was like, hey, guys, I think this is really good. We should get some more eyes on it. But it started out with just, like, everyone else, you know, so one person was working on Ad Nauseam, one person was working on something else. You know, each person was just working on different decks, and we ended up with a, an incredible deck because we delegated up to the point where we felt like we had something and then really focused in on it. Okay, so some of the other skills that we gain in Magic that are maybe more transferable to just playing other games, uh, like board games or other competitive games of various kinds. I think resource management is a common thing that matters in, especially in like board games and other card games, uh, but also in even in video games. Uh, this comes up too, if that's something that you're interested in transferring your Magic skills to, um, and understanding like how to build up a resource engine and what sorts of like learning what the thought process that we develop when we learn what a two for one is and understanding card economy that way, I think is one that you then causes you to evaluate pieces in other games, uh, in with a completely different light. Right. Yeah. I think the, the thing you have to be careful for here is making sure you understand what the limiting factors are like in magic you are often constrained by your mana or your life total. Um, and you have to understand that those are the things that matter. It is often, I find the hardest games, the the games I have the hardest time transferring my magic skills to are like ones where you always redraw up to seven cards or whatever. Yeah. Where like one of the resource axes is flipped so much that it's like a really different thing. Um, so I, I think, yeah, but I, I think learning to think in a resource management mindset is really useful for most games. Yeah, and, and that helps you figure out, like, uh, understanding, you know, how a game where you're going to draw seven cards each turn is different from Magic will help you. Like, the, you can make good assumptions about what's going to be different in that sort of game if you think about it for a while for, with your Magic skills, uh, I'd say. Um, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, Magic is largely a game about figuring out what's important in any given game, right? Like, what matters here? Does my life total matter? Does drawing cards matter? Does this spell matter? Do I have to counter it, or can it resolve? Uh, all these sorts of, like, the most important question that you'll ask a couple times per game is, what's important here? Uh, and that, I think, transfers to other games very, very, very nicely. Um, so, yeah, that, and also, I guess, in life, just trying to figure out, okay, what, what actually matters in this thing that's going on here? Like, where where does it matter for me to put my time into uh, what's going to cause a noticeable change in outcomes? 
Okay, finally, the final skill uh, uh, set here, which Sam, I think, is the most qualified to talk about uh, as a game designer, uh, is that, you know, playing Magic and talking about Magic all the time uh, is a very complicated game, and uh, there are skills that, if you're interested in designing games, you may develop just from being a critical, you know, observer of Magic game design. Yeah, I think you you learn a lot from Magic, like... For one, I think Magic is one of the most enduring games of all time, um, partic- especially in sort of outside of the classic game like the chess bridge type space. Um, you know, it's it's been around for about as long as any other game that I can think of um, and is still going strong. And th- I think there's a lot you can learn from it uh, by just just by having played it and having and sort of thinking through the things that you find fun and compelling. Um one skill I think is really helpful from a magic playing or from a magic perspective for game design is doing something like building and curating a cube um, and trying to think about like what kind of environment you want to foster in it. And it gives you a lot of, you know, sort of uh, thinkings about how cards are interconnected in a way like, oh, if I add Tinker to my cube, I'm going to want to add a bunch of artifacts and, and some are expensive and some are cheap and try to make that a compelling experience so that when a person drafts Tinker, they have fun rather than just like they drafted a Tinker and they don't get to do anything with it. Um, I think also, obviously, all of these other things like communicating in a team environment is really important in game design. You you want to be able to effectively communicate with your playtest partners, you know, what was working, what was not working, and why. Um, so yeah, I think Magic is a really good way to get into game design as well. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think taking it one step further and like actually trying to curate some kind of magic play environment for people is a really good. Like cubes is a great example of it, or doing some kind of custom set uh, and trying to figure out, you know, trying to start learning those lessons uh, with magic. I think is a really good thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think I know of a magic player who hasn't thought up their own magic cards, right? Like, right. Yeah. It's just the most natural thing in the world to do, and that obviously sets you down the right path mm-hmm. uh all right benjamin any any thoughts on any of these uh skills what, what's your, what's the biggest thing that you use for magic in in your you know life well i play a lot of magic so i feel like the biggest thing i use in magic is whatever's most important in magic <laughs> okay okay but um uh, i don't know that's okay you, you don't have to have an answer for that that's that's fine um I think I think for me it's probably what is what is important, like just being aware that that is a question that one should ask oneself in a lot of different places, and just like trying to isolate, like cause not not cause and effect really, but like what is the thing that I should be caring the most about right now? Yeah, actually kind of an interesting parallel here to, like, if you, if you ever take acting classes, uh, the most important, like, thing to understand about the character you're portraying is, what do I want? And that's kind of the same question that you're answering here with what is important is, like, do I want, you know, cards or life or uh, whatever? And it's it's really the same key question that is at the core of, you know, good magic thinking and uh, that as well. So, cool little parallel. All right. Let's close out this week's show with a story from our friend Sam. Okay, so at the most recent Pro Tour, myself, uh, 
Ben White, Thomas Hendricks, um, Yvonne Floke, Eric Froelich, and Pascal Vieren did a team draft. Um, the teams were decided before the draft, and it was my team versus Ben, Efro, and Yvonne. Um, we did we did a nice little draft. Uh, I sit down to play against Ben, and I tell him before our match, Ben, at some point during this draft, I'm going to trick you. I'm not going to tell you when, but I'm going to trick you. And Ben goes, okay, you know, we play. I beat him badly in spite Whoa. of his ego. So, Whoa, you, know, you beat me. He got closely. outrageously lucky to open the best card in the set and didn't even win with it. So whatever. Um, unfortunately, my team still loses the draft in spite of that. Um, so after badly. the draft, or af- after the games of the draft have concluded, uh, Ben's team is divvying up the rares. And Ben's like, okay, guys, what do you think if we just shuffle the rares up? put them into three piles and then each randomly get a pile. And I say, and I say, Ben, can I select the pile? Select who gets which pile. And Ben says, Ben thinks for a moment goes, okay, but you can't look at them first. You know, trying to imply that I would be so dishonest as to look at the piles before determining who gets which one. And, you know, maybe skew things away from him, which obviously I would never do. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree to those terms. Uh, ben distributes the, the cards randomly into three piles. I go, okay, Efro gets that pile, Yvonne gets that pile, and I get that pile. <laughs> and Ben balked at this and immediately reneged on his deal to let me to choose who gets which pile. And uh, he ended up stealing the cards from me. So who's dishonest now? Who, who do you believe is less trustworthy in this story? Me? Yeah, who do you believe is less trustworthy? Benjamin, you, it sounds to me like you made a deal, and it sounds like you were even warned that Sam would try to trick you, and, uh, you know, given that the draft was literally almost over, and he hadn't tricked you yet, it, you would have you could have known that you were about to get tricked in this exchange. Uh, so, I, I rate you as both the foolish person in this story and the untrustworthy one. <laughs> All right, that's going to be all for us this week. We will unite again next week for more Ally Strategies. What skills did you bring from other games to Magic? Vocabulary. Oh, wait, other games to Magic. Oh, yeah. It is actually, Magic is actually insane for vocabulary. That's true. It's truly vocabulous. Well, I see it hasn't done Tristan any favors, but... Well, but who could expect it to, really?